If you have your Bibles with you, would like to um, follow along, and I, I'd like to encourage you to do that this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 19. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. Acts chapter 19. I want us to get into the scriptures this morning. I want us to put ourselves in the scene here in Acts chapter 19. We're reading a continuation of, of the inspired history of the church. We as old school Baptists, we feel very strongly about the pattern that we see in the New Testament, the pattern of worship. Uh, those elements that are involved in the worship, the church activities. We feel very strongly about that pattern that we, that we find. What we feel strongly about is maintaining that pattern and, and not deviating from it. And we, we believe that, that the Lord has um, set up His church in a way that He desires, and obviously that way is perfect. Amen? Now, our ways aren't perfect. We may miss the mark, we may misunderstand or misinterpret, but that's what we desire to do is, is, is seek that pattern and maintain that pattern. So I want us to think about some of the things here going on in the early church and think about ourselves this morning, not only collectively as a body, but individually as members of this body. Let's read a few verses and then, then we'll get a little ba uh, background in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul is at Ephesus. And let's begin reading in verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. I want to talk to you about that way. You see that phrase there in verse 9? That way. There were those who opposed the Apostle Paul, who spoke evil of that way. What way is the writer talking about? The ways of the Lord, the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that when you read the account of Saul of Tarsus before he became known as Paul the Apostle, we're told over there that he went about persecuting the church, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And he had letters, in fact, to 
commit those who were following this way, commit them to prison, drag them if necessary, out of their homes, put them in prison, and some of them, they lost their lives for the sake of this way. The Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. He is going into the synagogue. That was his custom. He did that for about three months. There were those who disputed him, who argued against him, and who spoke evil of that way, that way that he was preaching. He changes his methods. Instead of continuing to go to the synagogue, he goes to a place that's described as, or referred to as the school of Tyrannus. It might very well be that Tyrannus was maybe one of the chief men of the city. We'll find out a little bit later in this chapter that there were others who were chief men of the city who were friends with the Apostle Paul. And so perhaps they provided a place for the Apostle Paul and the disciples to continue in that way, continue proclaiming that way. A little bit of background. Paul is in Ephesus, but he hasn't been there very long. He spent about the last year and a half in the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth, that was a place of much immorality. It was a place, like a lot of other large cities in that day, in that area, they worshipped false gods, they had temples erected to those gods. Some of the activities that they were engaged in in the so-called worship of those false gods involved all manner of sexual immorality. While Paul was there in Corinth, he became much discouraged and the Lord appeared to him in a dream at night and told Paul, he says, Be not afraid, but speak. And hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. While Paul was in Corinth, the Lord told him, I have much people in this city. The Lord didn't say to the apostle that there's a large population in this city. Now go in there and preach to, to them. Try to get some of them saved. Try to get some of them born again. He didn't say all of that. He said, Paul, you... You press on. You continue in the things that you're doing because I have much people in this city. There's a great number of people in this city, the Lord says to Paul, that are mine, that belong to me. Now go out there and find them. Hold on to that thought. The Apostle Paul continues there. and He was there about a year and a half. While there, he met a couple named Priscilla and Aquila, very faithful disciples this husband and wife, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they begin to travel with the Apostle Paul. Uh, we find them a little bit later, it seems, there at Ephesus, and, and a little bit later on, if I've got my timeline right, we find them in Rome. And so this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, they become a part of the ministry that the Apostle Paul has. They become a part of it by supporting it, by uh, not only promoting that way themselves, but they supported the Apostle Paul and helped him in any way that they could. Friends, you are a part of the ministry of this church. Every single one of you, you are a part of the... Do you see yourself that way? You are a part of the ministry of this church. Yes, I am a minister. Yes, I am the pastor. 
Uh, as long as you want me here, I suppose, and as long as the Lord wants me here, I am your pastor. And so I spend time regularly, on a regular basis, trying to preach and teach and minister to you. And in that respect, I have a ministry, personally. But you, my friend, you as the church, you have a ministry. This church, are you a part of it? Are you an active part of it? Priscilla and Aquila, they were so active that when they came across a man named Apollos, and you read about him in chapter 18, verse 24. Actually, Apollos was in Ephesus. Apollos was a man who was eloquent in the Scriptures. But the only thing he knew was the baptism of John. He didn't know the entire story. But yet he preached, and he preached the only message that he knew. And he made disciples based on the message that he knew. And Priscilla and Aquila hear him. They hear him preach. And they take this man, Apollos, who was eloquent in the Scriptures, they take him aside, and they, they teach him the way of the Lord more perfectly. Here's a husband and wife who come to a minister who seems to be very knowledgeable, who seems to know the message well and is very eloquent in the way that he presents the message, but the message wasn't complete. It wasn't the complete message. All they knew was what John the Baptist knew, and John the Baptist was pointing to a coming Christ. And I would imagine that the message that Apollos was preaching was only that. Christ was coming. He didn't know Christ had come. He didn't know the entire story. He didn't have the full message. So they take him aside, and they speak to him, they took him to him, and they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. How many of you this morning are ready and prepared and willing to do something like Priscilla and Aquila? Is that a legitimate question? Now, I'm sure that Priscilla and Aquila had the, the kind of personality and they had the kind of approach and, and, the, and the right kind of manners and, and they themselves were probably uh, very, maybe not eloquent in their speech, but they were very accommodating, I'm sure. They, were, uh, they made themselves approachable. They probably were very kind. They probably demonstrated a great deal of compassion. But they also demonstrated a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in their passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and for that way, they go to this man who is preaching and preaching very eloquently but not preaching the full message and they instruct him in the way of the Lord more perfectly. How many of us are ready and willing to do that? But after Apollos was um, instructed more perfectly in the way of the Lord, Apollos leaves. And so when, when Paul comes back to Ephesus, there's still some disciples, and we read about 12 of them here in Acts 19, who only know the baptism of John. And so when Paul expounds unto them, and when he tells them about the Lord Jesus Christ, when he reveals the full message, the entire message, those 12 men now are ready to submit unto baptism because now they've heard the complete message. I'm convinced that there are many in the world of Christianity today who have not heard the complete message. They've heard a message that Christ has done this much. And then the rest of the message is basically, 
You need to do the rest. They've not heard the complete message. It's not their fault, and I don't blame anybody for whatever the circumstance might be. I'm just telling you what the circumstance is. The situation is that the complete message that Jesus Christ is a successful Savior, that He actually did save somebody when He died on the cross, that He actually wrought salvation and obtained eternal redemption for a great multitude of people that no man can number and much greater number of people than the gospel has ever reached or will ever reach, that's the complete message. And I'm convinced that there would be many who would rejoice to know that full message. Part of the ministry of this church is to go out there and find them. Part of the ministry of this church is to go out, reach out. And, and, and you may not can go out there, there's one, there's one, there's one. No, you go out and you proclaim this way. And you live this way. And sometimes the way you live this way has a greater influence on, on people than anything that you might ever say about this way. So you go out and you demonstrate that way, this way, and people take notice. And, and, and then you look for those opportunities as you have some influence on those in your little sphere, in your scope, in your little world. You have influence on them by the way you live your lives, by the way you maybe help them, by the way you speak to them, by the way you encourage them by the way you do whatever you do to minister to them any opportunity that comes along, and then you look for open doors to tell them about this way. Are you with me? Are you a part of that kind of ministry? Because that's the ministry that this church has. Aquila and Priscilla were a part of that ministry. The Apostle Paul, he comes to Ephesus, and after those men are are baptized and identify themselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when Paul begins to, to preach boldly in the synagogues at first, and then as those who disputed against him and, and spoke evil of this way, he moved to a different location. He moved to a different location, but he continued to preach. He continued. You know what, Paul? He, Paul was very consistent. You look at verse 8 when it says that he... Dis, he disputed and persuading. He says, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. You know what that word disputing is? It's a very interesting word. It can be translated in a number of different ways. Let's look at a few different ways very quickly. You'll find the same word just a page or two back in chapter 17 of verse 2 when it says that Paul went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them three Sabbath days reasoned with them. Paul was disputing on this occasion, but on this occasion the same word is used to indicate or to describe Paul as reasoning with those in the synagogue. Okay? It, it's used in another place in, chap, in, in that same chapter, verse 17. It's used as, again, the word disputed. It's also used in uh, Acts chapter 20, and we may or may not get that far this morning, it's used as the word preached. Preached. So the indication is that there's opportunities to proclaim this way, described as disputing. We're not talking about arguing. Now some might see it as arguing. But it's a dialogue. It's a discussion. It's a two-way thing. 
This morning, if I sat down and if I asked a couple of questions and I sat down and waited for you to answer, that'd be perfectly all right. That would be a way of reasoning or disputing and discussing the Scriptures. Now, if you said something that I felt like was not in harmony with Scripture, I would try to kindly and lovingly correct you on that. We have this idea that the preaching and the teaching of the gospel is a one-way street. And that's not how it's described in the New Testament. Paul disputed, he reasoned, he preached, he discussed, he had dialogue. But he was consistent no matter how, what the setting might have been. Paul was consistent in the message that he preached, that he taught, that he discussed, that he had dialogue about. There is an opportunity for you to be a part of the proclamation of this way. Engage in dialogue. You know, that's what we do on Wednesday night. We discuss. We reason. We have dialogue. We don't argue. We don't really dispute. But we have a dialogue. And we learn more about Scripture. That's what we do on Wednesday night. We could do that on Sunday morning. We could do that on Sunday afternoon. We could do that anytime. But whenever we do that, are you involved? Are you a part of that? Paul continued in Ephesus. He continued about two and a half years there in that place. And he preached and he taught. He had dialogue. He discussed. He reasoned. He proclaimed the gospel with such power, power of the Holy Spirit with him, that it changed people's lives. Listen to me. This is what's going on in the early church. We don't have an Apostle Paul in our presence, in our midst today, who, as he did in Ephesus, allowed people to take handkerchiefs from him or some other article of clothing from his body and take to someone who was sick or diseased and they would be healed we don't have that today. But we have the gospel. And according to the very words of Jesus himself, the preaching of the gospel is just as much a miracle as if you were physically healed. When the gospel is preached with power, when it's preached in a way that demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is working in the proclamation of the, of the gospel, in the message itself, and in, the, and in the heart of the hearers, that is a miracle. And when you receive it in such a way that it convicts you, that it affects you, that it, ha that it changes you, that is a miracle. And that's what's going on in Ephesus. And in fact, move on down here in Acts 19, move on down to verse... 18. Now something else happened. And I know it was a day of miracles. But that, in fact it's a somewhat almost a humorous scene. We know what the we know what the gospel is for. We know that the gospel does not have the power to get somebody born again. But the gospel has the power to change you, child of God. Let's don't take away from the power that the gospel has. What's it done for you? What has the message of Jesus Christ done for you? Has it changed your thinking? Has it changed your actions? Has it changed your attitude? 
Has it changed your life in any way at all? Has it? Somebody answer me. Somebody say something. We can have dialogue. How's it changed you? It's convicted this brother. The gospel shows us our sins. But it shows us our Savior. Have you learned anything about your Savior yet this morning? There was some back then in that day at, there at Ephesus who tried to cast out evil spirits. They were exorcists, it says. The Bible says they were vagabond Jews. You know what vagabond Jews were? I'll be kind, as kind as I can. Vagabond Jews were, went about and they meddled in people's affairs is what they did. They got in people's business and they tried to, to use um, magic or other, as the Bible describes, curious arts. And they weren't much more than uh, meddlers in people's business. In fact, that's where the word curious arts, that's where that expression comes from. It means a meddler in other people's affairs. That's interesting. Maybe that's a good message for another time. But there were some who tried to, and what they said was, they said to these evil spirits that, were in this, that possessed the, these people, and they adjured them by Jesus Christ, whom Paul preach, preacheth. That's what they said to the evil spirits, these vagabond Jews, exorcists. They, says, I, they say, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. You know those vagabond Jews, exorcists? They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know a thing about Jesus. And there were probably some of the ones that not long, you know, that we find probably the next day were disputing the things that Paul preached. But you know what happened when they tried to do that? Those evil spirits jumped on those. There were seven in particular that tried to do that. And that evil spirit jumped on those seven and he, he whipped them. <laughs> he beat them up. They left the house naked and bruised. And people saw what was going on. Again, we don't have those kinds of miracles that affect us today. But we have the gospel. We have the miracle of the gospel. And the message of the Lord Jesus Christ is the same. Whether you receive it through miracles, whether you receive it through a message, it's the same message. And it has power. It has power to convict. It has power to reveal. It has power to change your life. He says, in fact, in verse 18, it changed people's lives in this way. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Is anybody this morning willing to confess their sins before your brothers and sisters? The early church did. The disciples in the early church were willing to confess their sins. I confess to you this morning that I once was, as the Apostle Paul might say, the chiefest of sinners. Not that I had, well, I might have had a few other sinners following me around, but I, ha I was not the chief of sinners in that way. I was the chiefest of sinners in this way. Everything that I could do to satisfy the lusts of my flesh, that's what I did. And I will continue in that path had it not been for the grace of God. Can any of you confess that this morning? Are you willing to confess that this morning? And what made the difference? I didn't make any difference in myself. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes the difference. And after the Lord Jesus Christ makes a difference in you, then the gospel comes along and tells you what's happened to you and you're made to rejoice. Well, you're convicted first because you realize that all of those sins, all of that sin, all of those times that you spent fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the desires of the heart and the mind of, of your 
of your sinful nature, all of that time was this sin upon sin upon sin upon sin that nails your Savior to the cross. And you're convicted, and you ought to be, and I was. But then the message tells you about a Savior. A Savior that, while nailed on the cross, endured the wrath that you deserve. And because he endured the wrath that you deserve, because he paid the ransom, because he paid the debt you could not pay, now you are his. He bought you. He bought you with a price. He, brought, he bought you with his own blood. He saved you perfectly, completely, never to be separated from him for all eternity. Amen? That's the gospel. And it ought to change your life. It ought to change our thinking. It ought to change our ways. It ought to change our attitude. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. Lord, what would the community think if we had a bonfire out here behind the church and we brought all of whatever we might have once thought very highly of and began to, to burn them? And what if they asked, what are you doing? We're burning all the books. We're burning all of the whatever. We're giving up. We don't have to have a bonfire. But what if there was some way that it was manifest in such a public manner that we are giving up all of the whatever it is that might be contrary to Christ, that I'm willing to give up whatever it is that might be an obstacle for me to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, Whatever it is that might stand in my way of being an active part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to throw it out here on the ground and we're going to burn it. What would the community think? The gospel has that kind of effect. They burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and they found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver and it didn't matter. It didn't matter what value they once placed on all of that stuff that they used to think so highly of. It didn't matter what it cost. They were willing to give up that. It didn't mean anything anymore. That which they once loved, now they hated. That which they once hated, now they love. How's it with you? How's it with me? You know what else happens back over there? There was an uproar in the city of Ephesus. Imagine that. There was an uproar in the city, and the reason there was an uproar is because the gospel was having such an effect in that city. The goddess, which most of the city worshipped, her name was Diana. The goddess had a, uh, a following, obviously, but they had a, a following over here of, of silversmiths. And uh, these silversmiths, it was almost like a union, you know, they kind of got together, and, and they said, you know, People aren't worshiping this goddess Diana like they used to. And it's because of that way. Are you listening? It was because of that way that Paul proclaimed and, and his multitudes were turning to. It was because of that way that the false goddess Diana wasn't receiving as much attention as she used to. And so the silversmiths, their products because they made these little statues and, I don't know, shrines and figurines or whatever in honor of the goddess Diana, their businesses were drying up, and they didn't like it. And so they caused this uproar in the city, and the whole town came together, and some were crying, great is the 
Is the goddess Diana? Some were crying one thing, some were crying another thing. And most of them didn't know what was going on, didn't know who was crying for what. And finally, finally the town clerk appeased the people and silenced the uproar. And then Paul decided it was time to move on. Paul went on a little bit further. Are you in the scene? Paul leaves that place, leaves Ephesus, and he takes a short journey a couple of other places but he's going to come back by and come near that city of Ephesus. But before he does, into chapter 20, he comes to a little place called Troas. Okay, let's kind of regroup here, reset the scene. Paul is at Troas now. On his way back down south, he's going to go by Ephesus eventually, but he's at a place called Troas in verse 7 of chapter 20. And it says, upon the first day of the week, now listen to me carefully, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. This, was, this is one of the first indications we have that the day of worship had changed. That they no longer met like the Jews did. They were no longer gathered in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. But now, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because He was raised on the first day, now the Christians the disciples of Christ were going to meet on the first day of the week to worship Him in honor of Him. And they're going to come together and they're going to break bread. They're going to have communion. They came together for that purpose. And it says that Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that Paul um, exhorts the church to, on the first day of the week, to lay by them in store uh, according as how God had prospered them. The first day of the week is a good day to be together, to assemble together as the body of Christ to do a number of things, to worship. And within that worship service, according to the New Testament, we have the privilege of hearing the gospel preached. We would have the privilege of hearing the gospel taught, the Bible taught, we might be able to engage in some discussion, some dialogue. The New Testament says that we ought to sing, so while we're together, we're going to sing a little bit. The New Testament encourages us to pray, and so as a body, we're going to pray together. From time to time, we're going to meet together and have communion. We're going to have that bread and wine in commemoration of the death of our Savior. And we're also going to have fellowship. Because the things that we hold dear, the things that we embrace, the things that we understand the Bible to teach about Christ, that draws us closer to fellowship, and we want to encourage that and enjoy that. So there's a number of things that we might do while we're together and while we're assembled together on the first day of the week. What's your involvement in all of those activities? When the church of the Lord Jesus Christ assembles together are you engaged in that time of prayer when we are assembled together to worship the Lord who saved you are you engaged in singing when we are assembled together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us are you engaged when his message is proclaimed 
when we are assembled together to worship the creator of the universe, the Lord God Jehovah, are you engaged in the proclamation of his word, the teaching of his word? Are you engaged in fellowship with members of the body of Christ who have been saved and bought by the blood of Christ just like you? Are you engaged? That's what we have in the New Testament. That's what we see in the early church. And we believe that the church hasn't changed in all of those elements of worship that we have, we have prescribed for us. We believe that those have not changed. Do you believe that? Are you engaged? Now, I'm not going to preach till midnight, but on this occasion, when they came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. He is going to, because somebody's already fallen asleep, I can't go to midnight for sure, but I'm going to go past 12 noon. Paul preached that day, and he's getting ready to go on a journey tomorrow morning. And it seems to me that Paul had so much to say that he just kept on preaching. He kept on teaching. He kept on discussing. He kept on reasoning. He kept on disputing. He kept on having dialogue with the with the body of Christ. He kept on because the message was so important. Because there was so much that they needed to know. And on that day especially, I got your attention? On that day especially, the first day of the week, it was the most important activity that they could be involved in. There was nothing more important to the early church than to set aside the first day of the week to assemble together for worship. I wonder sometimes if Jesus and the apostles came into our assembly, what would they think? Would they feel at home? Would they feel comfortable? Would they recognize us to be the church that they knew some 2,000 years ago? Would they, you know what I think? I think that Jesus and the apostles, as they come into our assembly, they would wonder about why we are so structured at times, why we are so stoic at times. That means kind of like a lack of emotion. I, would, I think that they would wonder why we come out, you say you start at 10.30, they might wonder why half of us sing while we're waiting for the other half to get here. They might wonder, well, why do you keep looking at your watch when it gets to be 12 noon? They might wonder why you all have scheduled other activities to, to go to immediately after the worship service so you can get away as quick as you can. They might wonder why we're in such a hurry to leave this place because we have other activities to go to that evidently rank just as high as the worship service of our Lord Jesus Christ. God help us. And Paul preached till midnight. And there was a young man, bless his heart, name was, I don't know, Eutychus, I think is how you pronounce it. He was up in the window, up in the very top. And I'm sure they'd been there all day. You know how stuffy it gets when you got a bunch of old Baptists together in a meeting and all the bunch of hot air coming from the pulpit. You know how hot it gets and the, the heat's on and, you know, we start throwing our jackets off and start sweating and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it gets hot. And so it's hot up in the upper rafters of the upper room, and this man, Eutychus, is sitting in the window. Paul's preaching till midnight, and that young man is getting sleepy. 
That's only natural. But he's getting so sleepy, he finally falls out, falls back, and he falls three stories to the ground, and he's dead. I don't know why, I don't know who said something first. Somebody said, hey, Paul, somebody just fell out. And so Paul goes down there. He, he, he bends over that young man. I believe a miracle was performed right there by the Apostle Paul. Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again. Who? When Paul, listen, the young man's laying there. And now his life is back in him and he's, I'm sure he's dazed and confused and wondering what in the world. He's probably embarrassed. I just fell out of the window under Paul's preaching. I just fell three floors. But praise God, I'm still alive. Paul leaves him there. Paul goes back to preaching. He's not done yet. It's midnight, Paul. What do you mean? I don't know what they did all that. I don't know if they took a break and had a meal. Uh, maybe they took a bathroom break. I don't know. I don't know what they did. But he's preaching till midnight, and he's not done. Young man falls out. He's dead. No, he's alive now. So let's go back to preaching. And Paul continues preaching. And, had broken, and when he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. Paul, he didn't stop at midnight. He preached until the break of day. If they started at the standard Primitive Baptist start time, 10.30, he's still preaching at 6 a.m. the next morning because he had such an important message. And it was so much to say and so much that needed to be said. In Paul's case, it might be that they, he was never going to see these people again. I don't know, it might be that case with me this morning. I might never see you again, but when I leave this place, I'm going to try my best to have said everything that the Lord has put on my heart. And all too often, I'm concerned about this clock, and I don't say all that I wanted to say. And all too often, you're concerned about that clock, and you don't hear all that you need to hear. Well, Brother Matt, it can wait till next Sunday. No, it can't. Well, Brother Matt, you can pick back up on Wednesday night. Well, most of you aren't here. My friends, what's more important than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here in this world? What is more important than the message of the gospel? If you think otherwise, the message of the gospel needs to change your mind. And it needs to change your thinking. And it needs to change your actions. Before Paul leaves that place around Ephesus, he calls for the preacher's and he says to the elders of the church, You know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying of the weight in Jew of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like every message that is brought to the Lord's people ought to in some way encourage the Lord's people to repentance. Concerning the ministry of this church, concerning your involvement, your engagement, your participation, what do you need to repent of? this morning what do you need to repent of this morning thank you again for listening rocky mount church is a primitive baptist congregation located near arab alabama we invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org that's rockymountpbc.org
www.ebrd.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other Primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you, is our prayer. Thank you.